Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here's your host, Greg Bloom. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. But he don't ever get rattled, he just goes till the sun goes down. Hello, this is Greg Bloom, your host at Food Chat. Welcome to another edition of Food Chat. What is Food Chat anyway? Well, Food Chat podcast is all about where food comes from. And we've interviewed farmers, ranchers, people in the food industry that process food, grow food. Uh, It's just a great way to learn about food production if you're unfamiliar with it. And You know, I grew up on a farm, so the reason I am qualified to talk about food production is that I grew up on a farm and have spent my entire working life selling food. So today we're going to be talking about where beef comes from and specifically where good beef comes from. Because basically when you're out there buying beef, you know, you want to buy good beef, right? You don't want to buy bad beef. Uh, And uh, good quality beef is a little harder to find then it should be. And I'm going to tell you why. So on today's podcast, we'll be talking about three things, where good beef comes from, where to find good beef, and what is the best steak. Like if you're going to just knock yourself out and you really want to have just a celebration or just a a great way to end the week, you know, where do you get a good steak? So I'll be talking about that. Do you cook it at home or do you Go out to a restaurant. Well, it depends. So let's talk about the beef industry. You know, it's pretty complex and there's a lot of misnomers about the beef industry. Like, for example, you might think based on something you read online that beef is like that beef is produced by multinational companies that are growing cows and then slaughtering them. But actually, most beef cattle are raised by small families and uh, the average herd in the U.S. actually is under 50 head of cattle, and uh, there's over 700,000 families in the United States raising cattle for meat production. So a lot of times this is, uh, you know, like a, a hobby for a family that has a small piece of land, and they want the kids to learn how to uh, do chores and be responsible, and, uh, you know, they like the lifestyle. And so they'll have the kids raise some animals for 4-H or for FFA or just, you know, just to do it and just to teach them the art and craft and hard work involved in raising animals. Um, and then, of course, there's larger farms. Uh, the higher you go up the, the ladder, meaning there's three really stakeholders in the beef industry as far as cattle production. And I've had independent podcasts about these topics before. So if you're interested, you can go back to our podcast, wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's um, Apple or Spotify or Google, wherever you go to find your podcast, if you look at Food Chat, you'll see over uh, 70 episodes there. And we usually do one once every week. And in the past, I've done several podcasts on just one beef industry stakeholder, for example, a cow-calf producer or a backgrounder or a feedlot owner. And then I've even interviewed um, big, huge uh, processing plants. In fact, the largest processing plant in the United States, uh, I had them on a food chat episode. So 
um, I'm trying to give you exposure to everyone, not just um, a couple of different stakeholders in the industry. So just really quickly, a recap of where beef comes from. So hardly ever do you find, unless it's on a very small operation, that they um, raise the cattle start to finish. Typically, they have some mama cows and they um, uh, just have babies every year. This is called a calving operation or a cow-calf operation where they um, have mama cows, they don't have that much land, and they sell the calves as soon as they wean them. So the way that would look is, you know, the gestation for a cow is about 11 months. So they would get the cows pregnant by exposing them, hang them hang around some, some bulls, or they might artificially inseminate them. And then not 11 months later, typically in the spring, the moms, the cows have calves. And then those calves will stay with their mom for the whole summer, really, until the late fall. And then they're learning how to eat grass in the pasture with their mom as they're nursing. And little by little, they're, they're being weaned. But they're not totally weaned off their mom's milk until the fall when they're separated and put into different pens or different fields, typically. Um, so then in the fall when they're weaned, then they go to maybe a different operation called a backgrounder or also called a stalker. Uh, in a good way, uh, not a stalker in a bad way, but a background or a stalker then would have lots of land or leases, government leases, as you know, uh, or may not know that lots and lots of land in the United States was owned by the federal government, but the federal government leases that land out to ranchers so that the cattle can graze on it. And the reason that's a good idea is because the cattle are eating the grass, aerating the soil, and pooping and giving organic fertilizer back to the forest or to the field wherever they're eating. So it's very good for the forest and the grasslands to have cattle on it. And if you don't believe me, Google a man named Alan Savory. Alan Savory, S-A-V-O-R-Y, I believe. And look at his documentary on why it's important for ruminant animals to graze so that we have sustainable long-term grasslands all around the world. So let's go back to the life cycle of cattle. So here we are. Uh, you have your backgrounders, and typically they'll keep those cattle for a year or maybe two. But at the end of a year or two, they're going to sell their cattle to a feedlot. Um, and then the feedlot owner is going to finish the cattle. Now, we can talk a little bit about the difference between grass-fed beef and grain-fed beef. And there are some important differences. And you may have read or heard or you may have an opinion about which is better. And you may have um, lots of reasons for why you think one is better. And um, I respect those reasons, although I think from being in the industry for 40 years and selling grass-fed beef and selling grain-fed beef for 40 years and seeing a lot of operations and seeing what consumers want, I would say that the majority of people want grain-fed beef. And the reason they do is because when you put the cattle in the feedlot, it changes the fat color on the animal from yellow to white, and the animals eating those carbs and that corn and those rations, which are typically like silage, which is corn and the stalk of the corn, and also um, other local things that might be found, like in Idaho and Washington State, you might find potato peelings. They're feeding in the rations to the cattle. But wherever you are in the United States, they're typically taking some vegetables or 
byproduct of ag production and feed it to the cattle. Like here in Colorado, where I live, they use distiller's grains. So they mix distiller's grains with um, crushed corn that's been steamed and then uh, silage, which is mostly just the roughage of the corn stalk. And then maybe a few other things and to help the cattle um, thrive in a feedlot. They're in the feedlot for typically 120 days, but it depends. It could be as less as as low as 90 days. It could be longer. It could be depends on the cattle and the age. But in general, cattle are in the feedlot for about three, four months. Now, that is what allows the animal to marble the muscles to gain that intramuscular fat that tastes so good. You know, that's why the ribeyes and the strip loins and everything has that fat on those fat deposits inside the steak. If you didn't feed them grain, that wouldn't be as consistent. Now, let's talk a little bit about grass-fed or let's just say grass-finished beef. Now, I think that's important to differentiate grass-finished because these animals are never in the feedlot. They're finished on grass. Um, that's an important distinction because technically speaking, all cattle are, fin- are fed gra- uh, grain and, I'm sorry, all cattle are fed grass for most of their lives. They're grass-fed cattle until they get to the end of their life and they're in the feedlot. So a lot of people call their beef um, grass-fed beef, even though it's not grass-finished beef. So I just tell you this because it's a little bit tricky, but if you ever go to a restaurant and they're serving grass-finished beef, or maybe the menu says grass-fed beef, you might want to ask them what they're talking about. Finished all the way or were they put in a feedlot? So there are some people that really are big fans of grass-finished beef. And typically it's because they don't like the idea of the animals being confined for three or four months in that tight space, in those feedlots. They just don't think it's a great quality of life. Now, I get that. I get that. That that concentrated pen life, I've seen many feedlots, visited maybe over 50, 60 feedlots in my life. And I would tell you that they smell bad. They create a lot of dust when it's the wind is blowing. And they create... Um, issues with water, but they're managed. The water, the runoff from those feedlots is managed. They're all, you know, going downhill and into a pond and they're required by the EPA to manage their runoff. So um, I don't think it's a big environmental concern as much as perhaps it's an animal welfare concern. But if you hang out in a feedlot for just a couple hours, you will see the cattle are pretty happy there. They really do. You know, they're, they're, Social animals, they, they're herded together. They like to be close and and they uh, like to touch one another and lick one another. And they like being fed. And when the feed truck comes around and fills up the troughs full of grain, uh, they, they go and eat it. And so it's really not a bad quality of life for an animal. Now, the other reason people might like grass-finished beef more is they think it's better for the environment. And here's where we need to think about it now. Let's just think about it. A grain-fed animal is how old? How old would you think a grain-fed animal is on planet Earth, uh, you know, using resources and uh, water and all that? Well, it's typically about 24 months, about two years. The grass-finished counterpart has to stay on planet Earth another year 
So it's three years old, maybe four years old. So water, eating grass, and even then, when you take a grass-finished animal to the market, what do you think that animal weighs? Well, it weighs significantly less than the animal that was grain-finished that went to market a year ago. So this is important because I think that people don't realize that grass-finished beef is older and and on the planet longer and taking resources. And even then, it's three, four hundred pounds lighter. And not only that, but the beef industry is curious. And the beef industry, every few years, does this thing called the beef quality audit. And in that, they pay consumers to come in and tell them what they like or don't like about beef. They do taste tests, they do panel discussions, and they also spend money just surveying people at random about when you go out to eat beef, what do you want? So I'll ask you, if I were to call you on your cell phone and say, hey, you're going out for a steak dinner this Friday, what do you want in your beef steak? What do you want it, what do you want it to be like? What do you expect? What will disappoint you? Well. So most people say in the beef quality audit that when they go spend money on one of the most expensive proteins they can buy, I mean, beef is more expensive than chicken, than pork, than uh, any other protein besides bison, perhaps, um, they want it to be good. If they're going to spend $50 on a steak at a restaurant, it better be good. It better be like super good. So they want marbling. That's that intramuscular fat that tastes good, you know, and they want it to be tender. You know, they don't want to be tough. So these things are certainly manageable. And the beef industry knows how to make beef tender and uh, tasty and all the things that people expect it to be. But it typically doesn't come from grass finished beef. And the reason is, is grass finished beef is not as consistent. And if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. The reason that you can have a high-quality grass-finished steak is based upon the fact, and only one fact. What was the animal eating? Was the animal eating high? Was the animal eating high-quality grass or not? And some pastures, the grass is full of protein and very nutritious and very healthy and gets a lot of water. And some fields where the animals are eating, and you've probably driven around the country and seen this. You're like, look it over out the window and you see the cattle in the field next door and you're like, what are they eating? It just looks like tumbleweeds over there. Exactly. They're probably not getting that much nutrition from a tumbleweed field in the middle of Arizona in the summer. So that's going to affect how the animal tastes and the steaks and all the beef on the animal. So where does good beef come from? Good beef comes from families that raise cattle and it comes from um, processors that know how to process it and age it. So a, sh a chef that's worth his weight in you know, salt will not serve you a steak in a restaurant that you're spending $30, $40, $50, maybe even $20, whatever. They're going to have an aged steak, which means that that steak was gaining age in the bag for 20 to 30 days. And the reason that's important is because unlike chicken and fish, uh, steaks need to have some time in a vacuum sealed bag environment to break down the enzymes and the bacteria breaks down and it's um, adds a lot of flavor and it makes the steak more tender, which is why all chefs try to serve an aged steak. So you can get a good steak at a restaurant. So let's go to question number two.
where to find good beef. Well, let's talk about two aspects of that in the restaurant and also if you just want to find one at home, if you want to eat good beef at home. There's lots of places. And, you know, I wish um, you'd go to ranchfreshmeats.com. Ranchfreshmeats.com is one of the sponsors of this podcast. They have great quality beef from family farms that they vet out personally. So they don't stick their name on the meat. It's the meat from the ranch that it came from. So they know and you can know where the meat comes from. So that's one place. But to be honest, there's lots of places to buy good beef from. Um, in Colorado, you can go to the Colorado Beef Council. You can just type Colorado Beef Council in Google. But listening to this podcast in any other state, you can type the name of your state and then Beef Council. And most states, the majority of them have a Beef Council. And typically on their website, they'll have a way for you to find local ranchers that sell beef in sides like halves or quarters or holes to consumers directly. So you can buy beef directly from the farmer, rancher that raised the beef and ask him lots of questions. Is this grain finished? Is this grass finished? And typically they'll put that on their website. They will actually advertise and in detail write down for you to see what exactly is they're selling, whether it's grain finished beef, grass finished beef, is it aged beef? That's a great way to buy beef because you get to fill up your freezer whole or half and you get to support a family farm. Now, let's just say you live in an apartment or a flat and you don't have a lot of, you don't have a freezer and you don't want to buy $1,000 or $2,000 worth of beef. You know, you love beef, but you're not going to do that. So you can't actually buy good beef at your local store if you know what to look for. And you can buy good beef at Costco. And of all of the major retail stores, I have to say Costco has the most consistent high quality beef. So I would encourage you if you have a Costco around you um, and you say, well, you know, it's just me and the wife or it's just me and a couple people. I, you know, maybe you live um, in a college dorm and you, <laughs> you have roommates. I don't know. You're just looking for a little beef, not a lot of beef. Well, you can always um, cut it into steaks. And, and uh, like if you buy a whole ribeye at Costco, you can cut it into steaks eat a couple of them and then freeze the rest of them. You don't have to eat the whole ribeye in one sitting, you know, but that's an option. But Costco is a good place to find beef, but also your local grocery store has some good beef. And if you know what to look for, you can actually save some money because beef is used more than any other protein, perhaps to bring you in the store. These stores, Safeway, Albertsons, Kroger, Publix, Piggly Wiggly, HEB, wherever you're listening to this in the country, you're going to have a regional retail store. And they're going to put ads out every Wednesday in the paper, in the flyer, on their app, and they're going to try to bring you in the store. They're going to sell ground beef for $2.99. Heck, you can't buy ground beef for $2.99 from a local uh, rancher. You'll put him out of business. He can't sell it that cheap. you got to pay him like $6.99. But the store actually sells the ground beef at a loss. Why would they do that? Because they know that when you go into the store for that $2.99 or that $3.99 ground beef, you're going to get a cart in the front of the store and push that cart around the store. And guess where you have to go every time, without exception, to find the meat? The back of the store. By design. You'll never, ever see a meat department in any store 
that's not the meat department is in the front of the store. It's always in the back, the farthest away from where you parked your car. That is a good way to get exercise, by the way, in case you don't get to go to the gym. <laughs> also, it makes you go buy all the other things they make more money on than meat because they really don't make as much money on meat as a percent increase compared to the other groceries in the middle aisles of the store. So check out that bargain bin. Go in your store in the morning when the meat manager or the meat staff has put the things in there that didn't sell yesterday that are close dated, meaning they're going to um, expire today. Now, beef is not going to expire. Beef has a much longer shelf life than um, chicken or fish. And even if the beef looks a little brown around the edges, it's fine. As long as you open that container and it doesn't smell like rotten eggs, or even if it has just a little bit of a slight off uh, color or um, taste, or not taste, um, smell, if it's a slight off smell, Typically, it's fine. You can just rinse that off. But there's a lot of steaks that are sold every day in the discount bin at your local retail store because it didn't sell. Usually, they give a steak three days to sell. When they cut it, they put it in the tray. They put the overwrap on the tray. They label it. And now you've got a steak that needs to sell in three days. So that's a great place to buy steaks. And usually, you can get them at half price. Um, now, I would be careful about where to buy ground beef. Okay, you can buy a USDA choice steak at your local retail store. You can buy a USDA choice or USDA prime, which is higher than choice steak or whole rib roast at Costco. But with ground beef, something else is going on that you need to know about. And I've done a whole podcast on this, but just to be brief, I would buy my ground beef from places where I know they're not importing the beef trim. Now, what do I mean? So Americans love ground beef and particularly hamburgers so much. We eat so many burgers that we do not have enough beef trim off the beef that we raise in this country to make enough hamburgers. So we import trim from primarily Australia and New Zealand and Uruguay and Central America and South America. And we bring in frozen lean beef trim that's typically 90% lean, frozen in blocks. And then meat plants in this country will thaw it out and blend it with some domestically raised beef that's perhaps like, for example, 50% lean fat raised domestically with 90% lean trim from New Zealand will get you an 80-20 burger. Now, they don't have to label that package that that beef has been imported. There's a loophole in cool country of origin labeling, which you can Google. Don't take my word for this. If you Google country of origin labeling USDA, you'll find the USDA's website and the rules for country of origin labeling. And you'll see that if you're a beef processor and you're using imported beef trimmings in your ground beef, you can put on the package product of USA as long as the beef was processed in this country, which just means basically it was ground and packaged. So I don't like that, but I'm not going to change it. So just be a smart consumer and know that that happens and ask questions. Ring the bell. Hey, does this beef in this package or store brand package contain any beef from other countries? And hopefully they'll know. They probably won't. 
But what's a better idea is to buy beef from a local source where you know that the rancher, you know, doesn't have a ranch in Uruguay or in Brazil or in New Zealand. He's just down the highway and he has a ranch and he raises beef cattle. And so, you know, there's no imported beef in his hamburger. So, but you can find um, if you're a little bit um, uh, of a good consumer, you can find beef, ground beef that now is it. Okay, why do I say this? Is it unhealthy? No, it's fine. It's it it meets all the safety requirements that's required for U.S. domestic beef production. So I don't say this as to scare you uh, that oh you couldn't eat this ground beef that's got imported beef trimmings because it's going to get you sick. I I don't believe that, and that's not the story of that beef um, with food safety records. I only say it because you should know you're not supporting local production or local producers. You should just know that. So, but also it doesn't taste as good. And the only other thing I want you to know about ground beef, which is super important, is this. A lot of ground beef in this country comes from the second career of a dairy cow. Think about it. A dairy cow is milked every day two or three times. Typically they're Holsteins. They're producing six gallons about of milk per milking. And when they get to be about four or five years old, they are no longer producing enough milk to keep them around the dairy anymore. So they're sold at a sale barn typically. And then guess where they go? They go to a slaughter plant, typically one that just slaughters dairy cows. Dairy cows are 90% just ground up into ground beef. Now, why should I tell you this? Well, because you should know that dairy cow meat does not taste as good as fed beef. Fed beef would be the, the beef that's from younger animals, like I explained earlier in this podcast, you know, like they're two months, I'm sorry, 24 months old, 30 months old. That's called fed beef. They're raised for meat production, not for milk. But dairy cow hamburger does not taste very good. It doesn't. It tastes like cardboard. Okay, you don't believe me. You think I'm making this up. The next time you're at a fast food restaurant, a national chain one, just order a burger Take the bun and everything off the burger, the pickles, everything. Just take a big bite of the meat. You'll find it's pretty tasteless. It might eat like cardboard with a little bit of salt and pepper on it. It's a lot different experience than if you go to a local burger chain that's buying local beef and buying fed beef from local ranchers and having it processed, and they're serving you a juicy, high-quality beef burger that's not made from dairy cow meat. So again, is it a health thing? I mean, is is it a food safety issue? No. I just like a good burger. When I buy burgers for my family, I don't want to buy five-year-old dairy cows. Okay, so this is something that a lot of people in the beef industry don't talk about. It's not that they're ashamed of it. They're not. It's just the way it is. But it's just one of the things that, you know, they just haven't really, I don't know, been too adamant about promoting or talking about. So Where to find good beef? I answered that question. Where to find a good hamburger? Go to a local restaurant and ask them where they get their beef from. Hopefully it's a local beef processing plant in your state. There is no reason in this country for you to go into a restaurant and ask them where they get their beef and they say they don't know or the beef comes from eight states away or a thousand miles away. If that happens, Don't go there and tell them, you know, I'm going to go find a local restaurant chain 
that supports the local economy and my state and my county and supports jobs here and because there's beef in every state. Every state in this country has some beef in it. So hopefully those restaurants are buying beef there. So what is the best beef steak? It really just depends on personal preference. There are a lot of great beef steak cuts. Now I like a ribeye. But I also like the intramuscular marbling, the fat in a ribeye. If that's too much fat for you, then you should eat a strip loin. And if you kind of like a steak that's always tender all the time, then eat a filet mignon or a beef tenderloin steak. It's the same thing. A filet is called a tenderloin steak. So I'm going to do a whole other podcast on beef steaks, and I'm going to explain the whole beef carcass to you from the front to the back. That's coming next week. So I hope you'll come back to Food Chat and listen to that podcast. And until then, bon appetit, eat well, and enjoy a high-quality steak at home or in a restaurant soon. Today's episode of Food Chat is brought to you by RanchFreshMeats.com. RanchFreshMeats.com has the best selection of beef, bison, wagyu, air-chilled chicken, turkey, and duroc pork, and more, all sourced from the family farms and ultra-clean USDA plants that they know personally. Take the mystery out of where your meat comes from and how the animals were cared for and buy your family's meats at RanchFreshMeats.com. Hey, save 10% on your first order by using Food Chat at checkout. Orders over two hundred dollars include free shipping ranchfreshmeats.com here's to the farmer the plants the fields and the spring the turn from green to that harvest honey hold one up for the banker downtown they got him on his feet with handshake money here's to the farmer's wife that loves him every night raising a son Raising a daughter, they gather around the table, send it up to the father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.